Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Uh, we're going to dive into today's message. We've been journeying through the book of Genesis. We love books of the Bible here at Mosaic, amen? Uh, we think it's just good to spend our time walking through one book of the Bible. Uh, roughly about a chapter a week is kind of our pace. So we, we cover most verses, maybe not every single verse, but trying to say, hey, what's the big original idea here? How can we apply this to our lives? So we've been working through Genesis uh, since last fall, and now we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. We're going to be diving into Genesis chapter 20. Uh, we also want to ha- make sure you have a note sheet. Um, so if you didn't get a program, so that's really just our connection card uh, and, and a fill-in-the-blank note sheet. If you don't have one, Kristen's back there. Raise your hand, and she's going to walk down, and she'll give you one. Aaron here, Leah right there. Um, why do we do this? Well, first of all, it's a learning tool that we think if you can hear it, if you can see it, write it down, and then ideally you can discuss it, that'll help get these truths down deep into your soul. We don't want to just give you information. We want to have it, help you have a life of transformation. Um, and, and then also the connection card. Uh, we'd love to have everyone, if possible, fill that out, drop it off in the little black box in the back. And uh, just, you can put a prayer request on there. We send that out to our prayer team. Like Ryan said, every Wednesday morning, we gather at 8 a.m. for prayer to lift up these requests. We email that out to our prayer team so that people can be lifting each other up in prayer because we want to be doing that for each other. That's one of the, the things a church does for each other. And then if you're new, we'd just love to say, hey, thanks so much for, for visiting, and, and we'd love to just follow up and say, hey, how can we help you take your next step? But we're in the series called Rescue is Coming. And truly, there's nothing like a good rescue story. There's nothing like a good rescue. I think back to our grand opening as a church on October 4th, 2015, we gathered a group of people and we just said, hey, there's a lot of great churches in Maple Grove, but we think there's still some disconnected people. And so what would it be like to start a church for people who feel currently disconnected from any other church? And in particular, a church that's going to get real and raw. And so that very first sermon series we did was called Relationship Rehab. Some people were like, how can you do a rehab in your title? And I was like, well, because there's a lot of people in rehab or formerly from rehab. And praise God, we have people in our church who are recovering addicts, who are former addicts, and have found freedom through Christ. Amen? And and we think that's a wonderful thing. And that very first Sunday, I remember meeting, there was a couple that came in, and they rode in on a motorcycle, covered head to toe in leather. And I thought, yes, this is the kind of people we want uh, to be a part of Mosaic. And that Sunday, he responded to the gospel invitation, and he gave his life to Christ for the very first time. And he passed from death to life. And that was so exciting because their marriage was on the rocks and he had substance abuse issues. Uh, He also had a mistress and was a sex addict and just had a lot of issues. But it was amazing to see God start to work and rescue their marriage. Then just Couple weeks later, they joined a small group and they started gathering on Sunday nights. And these people who didn't know each other formerly uh, were were getting together and again, helping each other grow. And then just maybe two weeks into that small group, he was out taking a motorcycle ride in Wisconsin and took a really bad fall and, and, and wiped out. 
And I remember the wife calling me in a panic. I can't get a hold of my husband. I don't know where he is. Can you pray? They found him, rushed him to the hospital, North Memorial, and uh, his motorcycle is just trashed. I believe that was the last time he ever rode a motorcycle. Helmet smashed in. But praise God that he saved his life. And I remember that night, one of the members, again, they'd only known each other for about four weeks at this time ever, texted me a picture that on that Sunday night, uh, instead of gathering a home for their small group, their community group, they gathered at the hospital room around him. Uh, and, and there's nothing like a good rescue. And then I remember, I've shared this story a little bit, a couple weeks later, um, as God began to work on him and clean up things that were in his life, uh, he said, Pastor Eric, I need some help uh, breaking up with my mistress, because it's time. And, and it's, it's a crazy story, sometimes I'll get into it, how we met at a hotel room with her, and she didn't know I was going to be there, and, and I got to pray with them both, and, and that their actions doesn't define their identity, and they can still have freedom in Christ. But watching God rescue and redeem their marriage was a reminder to me of why do we start this church, and why do we go through all this work, because there's nothing like a good rescue. I think about people who, their life was heading one way, and, 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 and they were secretly addicted to alcohol, but they were functioning okay, but they realized if I keep going down this path, I'm going to go over a cliff and destruction is going to happen. And watching God, have a, front, watch, have a front row seat to watch God rescue them, man, there's nothing like that. Today, we're going to talk a little about God can step in and rescue your marriage. If you're not married, I hope you don't just check out tonight, because um, I really do hope that this is still very applicable to you and where you are. Uh, maybe you're hoping to get married or remarried again someday. You can kind of tuck some of this away. But also some of this is just going to be really, really good stuff for any kind of relationships, friendships you might have in your life. And then anyone who's a guest tonight, we have a number of books out in the back table there called Love It Like You Mean It. It's a Christian who wrote it on marriage. And hey, that's just our gift to you. Uh, we like to resource our people. Um, here at Mosaic, we say, hey, you know, we encourage you, if, if you're plugged in a partner, give generously to the church so we can give away resources um, as just as free gift to you. Hey, we think this will be, help you in your marriage. We think this is going to help you in your journey with Christ. That's why we don't charge for like, we're the ball, because it's like, hey, give generously to this so that money is never the barrier towards fellowship or discipleship. Um, that's, that's one of our kind of essences of who we are. But the sad thing is, I've had a front row seat to watch God rescue and redeem marriages, marriages. But I've also had a front row seat to see people make some decisions that they didn't listen to wisdom. Some even leaders in this church, and then their marriage just on the rocks, and they're no longer together. And that is just one of the saddest things. And when a marriage ends, it doesn't happen in a single day. It dies from a thousand little wounds until hearts one day that were soft and warm grow calloused and cold. When a marriage dies, it's one of the saddest things in the world. So truly, I don't know where you are and if you're married. If, if you're thriving and wonderful and you feel like you and your partner are one under God, or if you're barely holding on, I want you to know there's hope. And you can find healing, and, and you can turn things around, but it's going to take some work and some effort. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 20, we're going to start at verse 1. 
We've been journeying with Abraham since Genesis chapter 12, so about the last eight weeks or so, and we've seen him get a new name, a new identity, a new calling. Um, we saw him go down to Egypt, lose his wife. God gave him his wife back. Then they tried to take things in their own hands. Uh, you know, Sarah took Hagar, gave it to her husband. She got pregnant. Like, you know, you never want a girlfriend and a wife, like all this mess. And now it's like, okay, now they're walking in promises. Everything's going to be hunky-dory, right? They've been promised that they're going to have this child. Isaac's on his way. So everything is great. Father Abraham, here we are. From there, Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negeb and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So they're going down now to a new area. And what does Abraham say to the people? Uh, that's not my wife, that's my sister. And it's like, really, dude? Like, we covered this like seven chapters ago, like 25 years ago, where you lied about this, you kind of deceived people to Pharaoh. God steps in, gives you your wife back, and now you're going to do it again? It's like, really, you're going to fall back into these old patterns of fear instead of faith. But here's what I love. I love that the Bible puts these stories in there because it's not always up and to the right. It, it's, it's following Jesus is stories of, of, of up and down and back and forward, and, and that's real life. Some days you're going to feel so close to Jesus, and then the next day you're going to just question, and, and you're going to fall back. But there's always grace, Amen. And so Abraham now, what we're really going to see is the sin of passivity. He's using Sarah for his own safety. He's worried what they're going to do to him. And so instead of defending his wife and his family, he's saying, hey, just tell everyone you're my sister so they, they don't kill me and take you. I'm going to step on some toes here, but this is really the actions of a boy. See, a boy doesn't take responsibility. A man welcomes it gladly. That's the difference between men and boys. In our culture, men are encouraged to be boys and not take responsibility. Hey, I don't want a job. That's a lot of responsibility. I don't want to get married. That's a lot of responsibility. I don't want to have kids. That's a lot of responsibility. I don't want to lead a ministry. I don't want to lead a small group. That's a lot of responsibility. But what the world needs are men who are ready to lead and take responsibility. Amen? The essence of manhood is responsibility. It's saying, this is my life. This is my body. These are my finances. This is my wife, my kids, my gospel, my church, my city. Put it on my back. I can carry some weight. But sadly, again, I'm stepping on some toes here, but culture, government, and I'm sorry, a lot of moms want their boys to stay boys. They don't want them to take risks. See, the government, again, I'm stepping on some toes, wants you to lean on them and not be self-sufficient, to take some responsibility for your own actions. That's better for them. A lot of moms, it's really hard to let go and, and say, okay, now you're 18, 19, 20. I'm not gonna help you get a new job or an apartment or whatever it needs. You need some responsibility for yourself. Everything around us in culture, thinks, is pushing boys to not take responsibility. But as men, we have to step up and say, hey, this is my church, my gospel, my city, my family. I can carry the weight and the load. That's what men need, and that's where Abraham fails. 
Genesis 20, verse 2, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. All right, this is one of those trigger words we've been talking about when we follow through Genesis. Like there's certain words, like tree, it points us back to the Garden of Eden, points us ahead to the cross. He took. This is like Eve who took the fruit. This is like Sarah who took Hagar, gave her to Abraham. But I'm like, he's taking, this is one of those trigger words, thinking back to this, the original sin. Verse three, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. It's like, whoa. All of a sudden God shows up and says, your life is forfeit. See, Abraham was supposed to bring grace and be a blessing to the nations, but instead he's bringing death and destruction because of his passivity and his deceit. Verse four, now Abimelech had not approached her. He hadn't touched her yet. This is important for the promise because Abraham's parentage can't be in any doubt because the promise has to come through Isaac. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. King Abim is like, I'm innocent. I haven't touched her yet. Verse six. (coughs) Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. (coughs) Therefore, I did not let you touch her. We're going to come back to that. Just put a pin in that. Now then return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Abraham, again, instead of being the righteous one bringing grace and deliverance to the nations, he nearly brings destruction to the innocent. But in spite of all this, in spite of his failures, God still identifies Abraham as the one who's capable of intercession on Abimelech's behalf. Remember two weeks ago, we talked about standing in the gap, being an interceder. In spite of his failures, Abraham is still an interceder. He still can stand in the gap. God uses imperfect people to bring blessing and healing. That's good news for all of us, right? Because we're all imperfect, but God can use us. Verse eight, so Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants and told them all these things. Hey, we're gonna die if Abraham doesn't pray for us. And the men were very much afraid. And why is it the men? We'll come back to that. Then Abimelech called Abraham to him and said, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God in all this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. He's worried about himself. The sin of passivity, this, the sin of, of self-absorption, about thinking about himself. Besides, uh, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. So she's my half-sister. Don't think about that. It's kind of gross. And she became my wife, different times. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. So this is not the first or probably even the second time they've done this, but it's not... Okay, so Abraham is saying, hey, I did this because two things. I, there's, there's no fear of God in this land, but what do we see? Abimelech actually did fear God. And number two, Abraham feared many more things than he feared God. He was way more worried about the consequences than what might happen. He was given into fear, not faith. 
Verse 14, then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence. I didn't touch you. We've not had sex. It's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves, so they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. All right, one of the things we see here, we see this contrast between this pagan king, Abimelech, and Abraham. And it's very similar in Matthew 8, verse 10, when Jesus says he's contrasting the faith of outsiders and resistant insiders. I have not found such faith in all of Israel. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Sometimes people of faith need to be rebuked by outsiders for living by fear instead of faith. Sometimes God will use outsiders to remind us who are followers of Jesus, hey, we have been walking by fear instead of faith, and we need to walk by faith. And this man who nearly brought death to Bimelech by his scheming is still the means by which God gives life and blessing. Unworthy as he is, he is God's chosen way of life to the nations. So one quick note, um, scholars aren't sure exactly, like how did he close the wombs? Uh, how do you prevent Abimelech from touching Sarah? So what you have to know, though, is closing the wombs, a Hebrew idiom, is more about the result than necessarily the cause. And so it may be something else happened that prevented them from getting pregnant. Most likely, none of the men were able to perform. That's probably what was going on here. That's why Abimelech couldn't touch Sarah, and none of the men were able to be with their wives. Uh, and that was what was going on. And through that, they caused the closing of the wombs. Um, because if was, she wasn't with him very long, so how, how would they know their wombs are closed if it was just a couple days? Um, that's probably what was going on here, and that kind of makes more sense to me. But for the rest of this morning, what I want to focus on is kind of, you know, the text doesn't tell us much, again, about the fallout from this. Now, one neat thing, if you jump ahead to chapter 21, is eventually Abimelech and Abraham renew this covenant. And up until this point, there's been a vertical covenant between Abraham and God. But now Abraham's going to have a horizontal covenant with Abimelech, which is super cool. And, and what does Abraham do as a sign of this covenant now that there is blessing to those around him? He's going to plant a tree. And remember, trees point us back to the Garden of Eden, point us forward to the cross. And how cool that now Abraham finally is stepping into his destiny, that he's having this treaty, he's having a covenant, he makes a covenant with Abimelech, and through that, he's planting a little piece of Eden. For those of us who are married, I think about just that's our goal, is to be cultivators of Eden, to plant, to cultivate, to bring the shalom of Eden to our home, to those around us. And I wonder about the fallout of Abraham and Sarah. That Once again, she was taken because of Abraham's passivity. Once again, God had to step in and intervene. And they're going to get Isaac next chapter. But man, what did that do to their marriage? So I want to talk about that a little bit in the rest of our time. 
And I, I want to just kind of highlight some things about marriage. And again, I hope this is helpful for anyone in whatever situation you're in. But number one, I think where Abraham failed was he got his eyes off God. And the important thing for all of us is that we need to keep God as our number one. When our eyes are on Jesus and we're walking by faith and trusting in him, that affects everything else. So the starting place is having a relationship and a covenant with God. The best thing you can do for your marriage is to choose to trust and follow Jesus. If you have not made that decision yet, that is going to make, that's a decision that can change the legacy of your family for decades and generations. And if you want your children to walk with Christ and know him, the best thing you can do is cultivate your vertical relationship with God first. Because you can't lead your kids or your grandkids where you aren't yourself. So number one is God has to be our first priority. That's that important covenant. But number two, we've talked about this. And again, I think where Abraham failed is always pursue your two. Who's your two? If you're married, that's your spouse. So often though, our job can sneak into number two. Our kids can sneak into that number two. Our hobbies, anything else can, can get above our spouse. And we forget to pursue our two. We forget to fight for our two. As guys especially, it's so easy to step into passivity, to numb ourselves with screens or hobbies or substances. But if God's your number one priority, you need to always pursue your two. But what happens when we go through conflict and there's a tear in trust between spouses? And that's what happened really here with Abraham and Sarah. I think that's going to happen in every single marriage. It could be, you know, horrible breaks in trust. Or just the fact that you've stopped pursuing your spouse, you've stopped encouraging them. And so now there's this space between you and you guys have drifted apart. Well, first is there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. This was so mind-blowing for me when I heard a pastor speak on this uh, a couple decades ago. There's a huge difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. See, forgiveness is holding on to the hurt and the bitterness and, and how your spouse or friend has let you down. Reconciliation, though, is the restoration of that relationship. Forgiveness is something God invites us all to do, regardless of if reconciliation ever happens. See, we as Christ followers should not hold on to anger or bitterness or the ways that have been hurt. And so forgiveness, if you're taking notes again, it's letting go of the offense and the hurt. It's saying, you know what? This hurt, this stung, but I'm giving it over to Jesus and I'm gonna let it go. Now reconciliation is the renewing the relationship. It's saying, I trust you again, we can be close. Reconciliation takes time and rebuilding trust. If you have blown things with your spouse, looking at pornography, having an affair, secret credit card, going into debt, any of the things that breaks trust, just asking for, for forgiveness is not going to reconcile that relationship again. It may take time to prove yourself, and that's okay. If there's someone in your life who has really hurt you, 
it's okay to take some time and, and let them prove that they are still someone who can be trusted. Reconciliation is only possible, though, because first, it's just our pizza coming in, sorry. We have been rescued. Reconciliation is only possible because we have been rescued. So when we talk about forgiveness and reconciliation, it's like, how can I move past this hurt? It's only possible because you and I have been rescued ourselves. A couple of verses here by the church planner Paul, writing to new churches a lot like ours. Colossians 1, 13 through 14. For he, Jesus, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. We, like Sarah, were taken by an evil force and held hostage and captive. Was there anything Sarah could have done to escape or rescue herself? I'm not bashing women or maybe the new Disney narrative of princesses saving themselves. That's all fine. (laughs) Thank you, my son. (laughs) But Sarah was helpless. And you and I were helpless in our sin. There's nothing we could have done to rescue ourselves. We needed someone to rescue us. That is what Easter is all about, that Jesus went to the cross for us and now he rescues us and redeems us. We could not save ourselves and he has saved us. That is the start of forgiveness and reconciliation. Number two, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18 says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you've been rescued, if you put your faith and trust in him, then he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We've been rescued from Christ, and now we're reconciled to God. We were once enemies of his. We needed to be reconciled. Our relationship had to be restored. We couldn't do it ourselves. Christ steps in. He mediates that. We are reconciled to him. And what's the result? A ministry of reconciliation. When your spouse or a friend or someone has hurt you so deeply and you say, how could I forgive them? You can't on your own strength. It's only because you've been rescued by Jesus, adopted in his family, reconciled to God. And what happens? The Holy Spirit is given to us. And with the Spirit's help, you can do what you and I are not capable of doing on our own, which is moving in forgiveness and reconciliation. And now, if you and I have been reconciled to Christ, we have this ministry of reconciliation. It's going beyond even just our friendships and relationships. It's those around us who don't know Christ, who are headed towards an eternity apart from Jesus, and they can't save themselves. And so now this ministry is saying, hey, We want to introduce you to the one who can save you, who can rescue you, because you can't rescue yourself. And and, and we're all called to that in different ways. Why are we doing an Easter egg hunt? So we can invite the neighbors around us to bring their kids to come in, and I can share on Easter Sunday that you can't rescue yourself, that Jesus come and he rescues, he explodes out of the grave. And we have this ministry of reconciliation, reconciling people to God. Why do we do events like Worthy Ball? To have fun and connect, but also, hey, bring your friend along. 
someone who wouldn't normally ever step foot in a church and they're hostile to God, they're far away. We have this ministry of reconciliation. And third, Ephesians 4, 32, uh, 21 through, yeah, 22. Paul says it this way. Get rid of all bitterness. <laughs> if you've been hurt, how does that manifest? Oftentimes bitterness in our heart. Rage, both men and women, right? Man, that's, that's flying off our handles. Anger. Harsh words, slander, that's speaking ill about someone, including your spouse to someone else, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. We can't do this on our own. But because we've been forgiven, because we have the Spirit we can have this ministry of reconciliation and you never look more like God than when you forgive. That's the heart of, of our Father. So real quick, as I wrap up here, I want to just give a couple things um, and, and it was kind of funny how, how God works. So um, yeah, we've been planning to do this series on Genesis since last summer at some point and, and we just one chapter at a time. Whatever's next, that's what I'm preaching on. So this Sunday, it was preaching on this and uh, Chris and I just happened to, we were supposed to go to a weekend to remember three years ago. COVID shut it down. Uh, and so we got rescheduled this weekend. And so for the past three days, I've been hearing all about reconciliation and forgiveness. And so I'm going to share a couple things I learned uh, last night. So uh, you can write these down. And a lot of this is from uh, uh, family life. But here's a couple things on dealing with conflict. Number one, sometimes you just got to overlook it. It's not up here, but you can write this down if you want. Those little annoyances that just happen. You know, uh, your spouse doesn't shut the cupboard doors. They leave their socks out. Sometimes it's just, hey, just overlook it. Number two, resolve the conflict quickly. Don't hold on to these things and build them up. But you need to step into that and say, hey, I need to talk about this. I can't let go of this thing. Resolve it quickly. You don't want to say like, hey, you've been doing this for the last five years or the last 30 years. And if that's the case, then like new timer now and resolve it quickly. Like step into that. Don't let things linger and then number three, restore it patiently. It's going to take some time. When there's been hurt and conflict, it's going to, you know, walk with Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit. And when you have wronged your spouse or a close friend, you need to learn how to apologize. Not everyone knows how to apologize. Number one, you need to name it. I'm sorry for breaking your trust. I'm sorry for lying to you. I'm sorry that I've been passive and not leading spiritually like I should have. Whatever it is. Number two, you got to own it. I'm not blaming someone else. This is me. Number three, feel it from their perspective. Hey, I know I wounded you in this. I let you down. Number four, say the words, I'm sorry. And then number five, change your behavior. We talk about this a lot. Teshuva, repentance. It's not just being sorry in our heads. It's you're moving down a certain path. And now you're moving and saying, I get, gotta get back onto the path that God wants me on. True apology means you're gonna change your behavior. And when you share something, hey, spouse, I've been struggling with pornography. Hey, I've been struggling with overspending. Hey, I've been gossiping. Hey, I've been passive. Whatever that might be, 
Here's a helpful phrase I learned this weekend, is the other spouse might need to say, give me some time to process this. Because when we're the ones who are confessing, sometimes we want to resolve it right now. But it's okay for, as a spouse to say, hey, I need some time to process this. Let's set a time to, to talk about this, but you've just sprung a lot on me. I thought that was a very helpful phrase. Forgiveness is not pretending it didn't happen, just forgetting about it. It's not an automatic cure for the hurt. And forgiveness is not conditional. Forgiveness is freeing your spouse from the debt of the offense. You don't hold it against them any longer. Freeing your spouse from your attitude of resentment. Freeing you both from the past. And freeing yourself from doing it on your own. You have to trust the Spirit and walk with Him and allow Jesus to be your strength. Ruth Bell Graham says this. I love this quote. You might want to write it down. A happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Oh, that's good, isn't it? A happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. It's learning to quickly move towards, hey, I'm sorry. I'm going to change my behavior. Hey, I forgive you. It's not about being a perfect man or a perfect woman. It's about following a perfect man, Jesus. Amen? Jesus gives us the power to be like him as we are filled and led by the Spirit. Last thing, right there on your sheet, next steps. Is there someone you need to forgive? Sarah had to forgive Abraham for messing up royally and doing this again. And I bet that took some time. But is there someone in your life, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a friend, and you're holding on unforgiveness too. But that's causing bitterness and resentment to be in your heart. And you can't forgive, perhaps, on your own strength, but you need Jesus' help to do that. So number one, is there someone you need to forgive? And number two, is there something you need to take responsibility for? Abraham didn't take responsibility for his family, for his wife, for being the protector he's supposed to be. Is there something in your life that you need to take responsibility for? I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to close uh, with one more worship song, uh, and then we're going to hang out, have some pizza. But during this cl- closing song, it really is a time for you to, to check in with God and to say, okay, thank you for, for the word I just heard. And now, God, it, reveal to me in your Holy Spirit, am I holding on to some unforgiveness, some bitterness in my heart that's having an effect in my marriage or friendships or relationships. And you need Jesus' help to forgive. And you're not sure how. Second, ask God to reveal, is there something that you need to take responsibility for? One of our key leaders in our church, uh, within the last 12 to 18 months, he realized he was using alcohol as a way to numb and to sleep and he realized he could not manage it on his own. And he came to me and confessed it. He joined AA. And he knows he can no longer have a drink at all. He can't manage that in any way whatsoever. He's like, I'm an alcoholic. A high-function alcoholic. No one knew it. But he had to take responsibility, ask for forgiveness, and then find some outside groups to help him in that. We have another key leader 
who has experienced hurt, sexual sin, previous marriage, fell apart because of that. He shared his story here before. And I asked, hey, if anyone at Mosaic is going through a time where they're struggling with secret sexual sin or they have a previous marriage and there's been hurt there and broken trust, could I point them to you? He said, yeah. So if that's your story and you take responsibility for some past sin or if you take some responsibility um, for finding some healing, he'd love to meet with you and, and talk with you. Because the reality is, you may not be able to do it alone. You may need some people in your corner to help you out. You need a squad around you to say, hey, I'm with you, and I'm gonna help you walk with the Holy Spirit to find forgiveness and to take responsibility. Let's pray, and then I just wanna invite you, just to let this be your prayer, and then we'll go eat together. God, thank you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for broken, imperfect families like Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob. And man, they are so messed up. And, and I look at that and go, okay, I guess my marriage isn't that bad. <laughs> and my family's not that screwed up. And, and God, I thank you for hope. And that when I look at it and say, man, I, I can't do this on my own. That your spirit is there to help us. And, and your church is there to help us. So God, I pray right now for people who are struggling with forgiveness, maybe their spouse has hurt them, their marriage is in a place they didn't expect to be at, and they don't know how to move forward. God, I pray that you would be able to bring healing. Even right now, it would start. That your Holy Spirit, that the good healer would come in and do a work. Uh, uh, that if they need to reach out to someone and say, hey, I need some prayer right now. I'm holding on to bitterness and resentment. God, that you would bring healing. That you would bring forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. And God, second, I pray right now, if there's anyone who needs to take responsibility for a secret sin, um, just something that they have been uh, living in passivity, not accepting responsibility, uh, not stepping into their calling or just saying, hey, put some weight on me. I can carry uh, the, the burden. I, 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 can, I can be stronger for those who are weak. God, I pray right now, you just reveal that to all of us, where we need to step into more responsibility not in our own strength, but in yours. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to rescue us when we couldn't rescue ourselves. And that God, now you have the power and ability to rescue any marriage that is heading towards the divorce, that is heading towards just a rough place. Thank you, Jesus. Be with us now as we sing this song, as we worship you. In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me? And just, I encourage you to take this time just to, to pray with God, to meet with him. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.